when we talk about this, we say he won two Super Bowls. Right. David Tyree's helmet <laughs> and Mario Manningham right. down the sideline with two amazing catches and made both of those possible. Did he play defense? Yeah. Oh, you didn't know that? I, I wasn't he, aware of that. He was also part of the Giants defensive Let me- front. This is the Stuff You Missed, Best of 99.9 The Fan Podcast, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now, here is your host for the Stuff You Missed Podcast, Dennis Cox. Coming up on today's show, Zion Williamson makes his NBA debut, scoring 22 points for the New Orleans Pelicans. UNC men's basketball suffers another loss, and Eli Manning calls it quits from the NFL. Starting things off with ACC basketball, UNC lost to Virginia Tech on the road yesterday in double overtime, 79-77. Brian Geisinger on Sports Channel 8, the radio show, says nothing is going right for the Tar Heels. It is amazing just how low the floor is for this team and how many things have to go right for them to win. win, And even then, we've seen this with the Virginia Tech game, uh, the Clemson game, the Pittsburgh game, these games that they've held leads in. And they can't. <laughs> Goodson feels bad. They, they just can't. Like, there just is not enough of anything outside of Garrison Brooks. Yeah, that and guy is a soldier. Like, and he the, is out there. The execution alone. has been bad. The late game offense has been bad. <laughs> There's no one to drive the offense. There's not enough shooting, certainly outside of Brandon Robinson. They talk more about the low point UNC has reached. Goodson, you said you needed to see the dead body like four games ago. <laughs> Like, you're like, I don't believe it. You talked about their easy start to the ACC schedule, and you're right. Hey, 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 Their Hayes, first Hayes, half Hayes, is much easier Hayes, than their second half. They're about I to can't. get Florida State, I, 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 Duke twice. I can't. Top four in the ACC, NC State twice. I can't even it, talk about it. They get better. Heartbroken. They get into a discussion about sympathy for UNC and their program. UNC fans deserve absolutely no sympathy. Okay. Well, fans okay. don't deserve sympathy for anything. This is sports. I have much bigger things to care about than fans having to suffer through their teams, losing streak or injury troubles or whatever. Well, also the context, they've won what three titles in the last yes, mm-hmm. all right, ten okay. years or something like that. Hayes Permar shares if he has any sympathy for head coach Roy Williams. Not, not really. I mean, I can, I can sympathize You're- with somebody who's, you know, if I had six bad shows in a row, I hope even people that hate our show would be like. Oh, that sucks for him. Like, You're, yeah, kind of. But uh, not not a lot of sympathy. He gets paid an exorbitant amount of money to be the head coach and to go to press conferences and to answer the things however he wants. And also, he knows that he's got good recruits coming in next year and that he'll probably bounce back pretty quickly. So, oh, no, yeah. I do not have a lot of sympathy for him. Permar says if anyone deserves sympathy, it's the guys on the court. UNC players themselves? Okay. Yeah, I, I can feel oh, a little bit sorry stop. for them. Why? Yes. Why? Because they've lost six in a row. They've blown double-digit leads a couple times. We don't do this for Boston College. <laughs> I, I did, like, when the dude cries and we make fun of him for wanting to go out to dinner with somebody. No. We, like, no one, talking, no. I still feel bad for no, him. No, you don't. Yes. I, I, I do not believe you. I, <laughs> no. Josh Goodson brings up another team in the area. We just finished a football season, Hayes Permar, where NC State had a billion injuries. They lost. I uh, definitely felt bad for do some not, of the players. Do not fact, fact check me here. They lost 700 games due to injuries <laughs> last <laughs> football season. But there was no one ever here sitting like, God, I just feel bad for this team and this program and what they're going through. No. I feel I, bad I, for the players. I didn't hear that. I don't feel, I don't feel bad for Dave Doran, who, again, is paid very well. And if he's doing his job well, we'll mm-hmm. bounce back from this. Mm-hmm. 
I can feel some sympathy. Like I said, the same level I I would sympathize for Roy Williams is just like, oh, I feel bad for somebody whose job isn't going well. But not I don't not a lot of sympathy. This is stuff you missed the best on 99.9 The Fan. I'm Dennis Cox. On the David Glenn Show, heard from noon to three, DG gets into a discussion about the North Carolina Tar Heels and their struggles and how this season is the exception to the norm for the program. In my 34 years covering the Tar Heels, I mean, they are as close to anyone as just rubber stamping them on their way to the NCAA tournament. A lot of ACC titles under Dean Smith and Roy Williams, even sometimes Bill Guthridge. Heck, Matt Doherty once finished first in the ACC. The Tar Heels are way down. The Tar Heels are miserable in every sense of that phrase after last night's loss dropped them to 8-10. and 10. But I don't believe this is rock bottom, believe it or not. David Glenn also shares what he feels has gone wrong this year. It is true that the talent is down in Chapel Hill. It is also true, by the way, that better execution, better coaching, you could say, better preparation. Roy Williams threw himself on the sword when the Tar Heels lost their 15-9-0 forever streak to the Clemson Tigers in Chapel Hill. He threw himself on the sword. He said, I didn't even remind them how I wanted to handle the last possession for Clemson, where he, he wished they would foul, as they do in practice all the time, and they didn't. So that's on him. It's on his veteran players. It's on basketball IQ. It's on execution. DG also tells us what he feels has been lacking this year with UNC. When you're in a close game against Clemson at home, or last night when you're in a close game against Virginia Tech and Blacksburg, and you led the Hokies most of the way, Better execution, smarter basketball, makes you 2-0 and in those games, despite your drop in talent. It's not like the Hokies or the Tigers have overwhelming talent compared to yours. Better execution, smarter basketball, makes you 2-0 and against Clemson and Virginia Tech instead of 0-2 and dead last in the ACC standings. On Adam and Joe, the guys get into a discussion about what the narrative would be like with other programs. If this were happening to Duke, how are we talking about it? All depends on how the how things have gone. Answer the question. If Duke's having the same season North Carolina's having, how are we talking about it? I would feel bad for the players, absolutely. But no you you might feel you might feel bad for the players, but I know how we're talking about it. People are making fun of Duke all day. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. Joe Ovia says there's no doubt that UNC can bounce back. Man, you know what? North Carolina's going to be just fine. Yeah. Have you seen their recruiting class for next season? It'll be just fine. Well, I mean, they've had other good recruiting classes that didn't pan out, too. And, so. and then when you combine this, the woe is us stuff that comes from some, I hope people are listening to me, some of the fans. That was like my special shout-out. Along with Virginia and what they've been going through this year after coming off a national well, I, championship. I don't feel sorry for anybody in that program. See, there you go. Yeah, but that's just me being bitter. Right. Okay, so suddenly it's all I it's all can't. varying degrees of how we feel about it, right? Adam and Joe talked more about the feeling of the fans. I think the fan bases can manage with this little bit of a rough patch. Meanwhile, you got Wake Forest fans going, what rough patch? You want to talk about a rough patch? Who, Wake? Wake fans. Make your bed, man. Make your bed, Wake. Meanwhile, state fans are like, <laughs> y'all want to talk about rough patches? Let's talk about rough patches. Like, like I said, so I, do not is, feel, I do not just, feel bad for Roy. Why would you ask Mike Young that question? I do not feel bad for Roy. I do not feel bad for North Carolina fans. You're listening to Stuff You Missed, the best of 99.9 The Fan. I'm Dennis Cox. Thanks once again for tuning in this evening. Former Duke forward and number one overall pick Zion Williamson made his debut last night for the New Orleans Pelicans. The guys on Sports Channel 8, the radio show, talk about the debut of Zion. 
Was this the most Zion outcome that could have occurred last night, given the conditions he was going to be playing under Brian Geisinger? I guess that he that it like his he had to have it happen like in a short burst, basically, because he was really only playing in these these spurts of you know, three yeah, and a half to four, four minutes, minutes, basically. So yeah, he just you know he sort of didn't look great the first three quarters, and then he just detonated. 17 straight points over three minutes in the fourth quarter, including four three-pointers. It was incredible. Brian Geisinger says Zion fully displayed his capabilities when he scored 17 straight points himself for the Pelicans. I've said this a couple times now on this show or or maybe in some other places too, but like this dude, if he's healthy and upright, he can't help but be a monster two-way player and be efficient and like – He's just treading water for three quarters, barely playing. Then he finishes with 22, 22 points, points on 11 shots. Geisinger and Permar talk about a play that stood out to them most in the game. Either he grabbed his own miss or the ball slipped out of his hand. Yes, yes. And you could see the reflexes. You're like, oh, this guy's a jungle cat. Like, he, <laughs> the way he was able to just immediately spring back up, catch it, and finish it, it was just like, yeah, he has not lost the quickness. You know what I mean? When I was talking to Coach K about Zion, name drop at ACC Media Day, the one time he actually t- is uh, contractually <laughs> obligated to sit down with us. Yeah. Uh, no, I, that, that was one of the things that I remember him saying was his second jump it's crazy. is unlike any other. It's like, we've had high leapers, and he had, I mean, his the, second jump is faster and higher than any anything I've ever seen. Which is nuts, because the year before they had Marvin Bagley, who was an amazing <laughs> yeah, second yeah. leaper, too. This is Stuff You Missed, the best of 99.9 The Fan. I'm Dennis Cox. Thanks once again for tuning in this evening. On the other side, more reactions to Zion Williamson's debut. Also discussions about Eli Manning calling it a quits from the NFL. Adam and Joe get into a discussion about whether he's actually really worthy of being a Hall of Famer. Here all that and more coming up next. Zion Williamson made his NBA debut last night for the New Orleans Pelicans, scoring 22 points in 18 minutes. Mike Golick Jr. on Golick and Wingo talks about a burst he had in the fourth quarter where he scored 17 straight points for New Orleans. It was fun. Yeah. Everyone was enjoying it. And if you're the Pelicans, you took your first lead since the first quarter in the midst of this run. Like, it wasn't like this was happening in mop-up time. This kid was helping win you the game, like what he was doing on the court. And that was his assertion was, hey, like, we can win this game with me on the court right now. And above all, we've seen this is a kid who really is out there to do that thing. For all we focus on him, we saw that in his time at Duke. He generally tends to skew as one of the most team guys that's going to be a part of your group. Pelicans executive VP of basketball operations David Griffin joined Golik and Wingo this morning, and he talks about what went into deciding Zion's minutes restriction. To some degree, it's not overly complicated. Alvin and I aren't doctors, and and, and we're not strength and conditioning people, and we're going to trust those people. We brought in Aaron Nelson and his team for a reason, and and while it's difficult to execute sometimes, uh, there's a very clear plan and vision in place, and and we're going to adhere to it. And from a front office perspective, I think Trajan and I are very mindful of the fact that while everybody else really cares about things like debut statistics we we have a team oriented much larger goal in mind and we're going to do everything we do with that and sort of the forefront for us griffin elaborates more on how long zion will be restricted i think it will depend on how he progresses and how he feels what comes back today when when he visits with our medical team and the things he shares about how he feels um i think a lot of what we're trying to avoid is muscle fatigue quite frankly because that's when you stop using everything that supports the joints as 
shock absorption and you, then you rely too much on the joint. So we're going to continue to really observe that and, and get feedback from him, and it'll just grow and evolve over the next couple of weeks. Griffin also talks about how surprised he was that Zion went four for four from behind the three-point line. I actually asked Zion post-game if he, if he envisioned his first game he sort of leads the way from the three-point line, and even he didn't see that coming. So I think uh, he's put in an awful lot of work, but it'd be disingenuous to say any of us thought we were unleashing a three-point shooter on the world. I, I don't think that's what he thinks of himself as. He actually m- made light of it last night when he said, you know, when I, I couldn't do anything else that I would normally do. <laughs> and fortunately, they went in. So I, I think what you saw was, a kid with an awful lot of rust on him and an awful lot of talent, and he relied on the talent last night. Griffin also says Zion's health is most important. We didn't take 14 weeks to put him in this position to hope to sustain success to then overplay him early. Um, you could see he was gassed <laughs> when he came out of the game. I mean, he was ready. His, I think his chest was ready to explode. So it's normal. It, it should have been that way. And, and I think it's just going to take time to see how long – uh, it takes him to find comfort and, and when he finds his win and when he finds his rhythm. And again, the, some of the moves he was not able to make last night, it's not about whether or not he's healthy or whether or not he, he's capable because he's capable of much more than he was before. It's just you haven't touched a basketball in a competitive environment for 14 weeks. That's tough. ESPN NBA analyst Tim Legler also joined Golick and Wingo to talk about the minutes restriction for Zion. They're probably going to go ahead and stick with this for the first three games. They got Denver and Boston. I mean, it's a tough way to start off. San Antonio, Denver, Boston right off the bat, all at home. Um, so you, you might see that extend a little bit. Maybe it's a five-minute spurt. You know, do the math on four of Now you got a 20-minute night instead of 18, which was supposed to be 16. I think that'll last probably for a week or so, and then they'll incrementally take it up to 22 to 24 minutes for probably another two to three games. I bet you are probably eight games out from seeing him play a 30-minute night, um, and they just want to make sure he recovers well from this, and he's got no issues going forward. Look, they gave him far more time than most guys require for what he had done. So, look, they've been as prudent as possible, and now they're going to continue to be so here for the first, you know, probably eight to ten games. This is Stuff You Missed, the best of 99.9 The Fan. I'm Dennis Cox. Eli Manning is calling it a career. He's expected to announce his retirement tomorrow. Joe Ovias brings up a point about winning titles in New York. I wasn't saying that he wasn't a Hall of Famer. I was simply pointing out that being with the Yankees and winning World Series with the Yankees is the special sauce that takes him to another level. And we're seeing this to the craziest degree with Eli Manning in that being the New York Giants quarterback – that happened to be the quarterback of record when the Giants and their great defense stopped the New England Patriots twice, that that elevates you to a Hall of Fame status. Because by every statistical measure, Eli Manning was an average quarterback for his career. Joe Ovias brings up the numbers where Eli ranks. From 1990, all quarterbacks who have started at least 100 games since 1990, he is not a top five player in any major statistic. Right. His passer rating is 84.1. That's 27th ranked. Mm -hmm. His adjusted net yards per attempt ranks 29th. He's 20th in percentage of his throws that resulted in touchdowns. He's 30th of other quarterbacks that have had fewer percentage of their throws throws resulting in an interception. He also has the most interceptions. And on top of that, if he wasn't benched, he'd have worse numbers. The 117-117, 
it's not perfectly symmetrical. And on top of that, when you look at the overall losses, he's basically Vinny Testaverde with his overall losses. Adam Gold poses a question about the two Super Bowls the Giants won with Eli. The question is, if he did not win two Super Bowls, would he be mentioned no. in anybody's Hall of Fame conversation? And the answer is no. No. However, he did win two Super Bowls. Okay. And that changes the conversation. I have argued forever that it shouldn't because Jim Plunkett won two Super Bowls. That's the thing. And nobody has ever discussed Jim Plunkett as a Hall of Famer. Adam and Joe discuss the narrative about quarterbacks winning titles. When we talk about this, we say he won two Super Bowls. Right. David Tyree's helmet <laughs> and Mario Manningham right. down the sideline with two amazing catches and made both of those possible. Did he play defense? Yeah, oh, you didn't know that? I, I wasn't he, aware of that. He was also part of the Giants' defensive me, front. Trey Wingo on Golik and Wingo talks about how Eli handled the spotlight in New York. He wanted to go there, and that's sort of on par with Eli. Remember, his dad was a legend at Old Miss. Peyton went to Tennessee to do his own thing, and obviously that worked out for him. Eli's like, yeah, I'll, I'll go follow my dad. I got no problems with that. I got no problems living up to that legacy. New York as Peyton Manning's younger brother. A little brother, and that's what he's always going to be remembered for in, in in football parlance. Oh yeah, you know Eli, you won the two Super Bowls and all that stuff. But you know, there's Peyton, and then there's Eli. He has no problem with any of that being about that in New York and just wearing that mantle, and it didn't seem to stress him at all. ESPN NFL analyst Victor Cruz on Golik and Wingo talks about his former teammate. You just knew every time you lined up with that guy, he was going to give you everything he had. He was going to put it all out on the line. And and in those losses, in losses and wins, he's going to take the blame. Like, he's going to be the one to take the brunt of the uh, of the blame for the team. And he always wore that on his shoulders and wore that pain on his shoulders. Win, lose, or draw, we knew that he was on our side. And we wanted to play for a guy like that. Receivers wanted to get open for a guy like that. And, um, and, you know, it was just something that you looked at each and every week, each and every day in preparation for games. He was always the one at the forefront, always the one that was putting his best foot forward. And as a teammate, you had to bring your A game because you knew he was coming. ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter says on Golik and Wingo that the options for Eli to start once again weren't there. The fact of the matter is he wanted to play. And when you look around the league, there's not an obvious starting quarterback job landing spot for him. Plus, I don't think his family was all that thrilled with having to leave New Jersey. So when you talk about not wanting to move and there not being an obvious starting quarterback job out there waiting for him, when Peyton Manning was free at one point in time, the Broncos and other teams were clamoring after him and he had a starting quarterback job. Eli didn't have that situation. And so if you don't have that situation and your family doesn't want to move, you make the decision that he did, which is to retire, and it'll be a grand send-off on Friday when he officially announces it. Mike Ola Jr. says Eli Manning will forever be tied to the 2017 that beat the undefeated New England Patriots in How the Super How many people Bowl. are going to remember Eli Manning majority for the fact that he just kept the Patriots in 2007 from being the greatest team of all time. Correct. Like he stopped them from being the undefeated Patriots that had been for all the talk about Tom Brady at the different points of his career. That was the best he had seen. You threw Randy Moss in that offense and unlocked the skeleton key that put this, I mean, dominant, just force of nature out there. And Eli Manning was the one that kept that from stamping that team as the greatest that we had ever seen. You've been listening to the Stuff You Missed Best of 99.9 The Fan Podcast with host Dennis Cox.
Don't forget, there are many ways you can listen to this podcast, including streaming at WRALsportsfan.com, the WRAL Sports Fan app. And you can also subscribe for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, Google Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and TuneIn. This podcast also airs every weeknight at 6.30 after Adam and Joe on 99.9 The Fan. 